Get ready for the Very Visible Business Podcast with David Averin. Each week featuring a candid and raucous conversation with some of the most innovative, outspoken, and entrepreneurial business minds in the world today. This is the Very Visible Business Podcast, and here's David Averin. And welcome to the Very Visible Business Podcast. My name is David Averin, and um, today is a really interesting subject. I, th- I think you're going to tune into this. You know, there are conversations that are going on in organizations across America, around the world, and the conversations have changed. Um, the conversations are interpersonal between individuals. Sometimes they go well, sometimes they don't, but, but on a higher level of recognizing the importance of, of, of how we're interacting with each other and the ramifications of that going well and not going well. And we can look at it all the way back to, to early childhood and some of the challenges in school and some of things happening with harassment and others, but it's bleeding over into the workplace as well. And I think there's a new cognizance of the importance of, of addressing what those conversations are. How do we do it better? And there's nobody better to do that than my friend, my colleague, Mike Domish, who has spent a career, and we're going to in the background, um, of, of helping individuals and organizations be more conscious, I think, and cognizant of how we're interacting with each other. And I've watched his career grow. I've watched his message grow. Um, and from student populations to corporate as well, we'll talk about all of that as well. But we're talking here with Mike Domish. You may have seen him as a featured expert on Dateline NBC, one of his quotes in major publications, such as the Wall Street Journal. He is the founder of the Center for Respect. He's an author. He's a highly sought after speaker, probably quietly one of the busiest speakers in the world right now. Uh, he travels the world this year, sharing, sharing tens of thousands. A big welcome to my friend Mike Domish. Mike, thanks for being with us on the show. Thanks for having me on, Dave. So excited to be here with you today. I know you are. Who wouldn't be? That's so right. Show. I'm just saying. Um, listen, we have had we have had these conversations for years, and I've watched um, I've watched you present. Um, you've given me food for thought. You've given my kids food for thought. And the work that you're doing with corporations right now across the country and around the world is remarkable. Give us a sense of of your message, your mantra. And then we're going to delve a little bit into about sort of where this grew from and, um, and why it's so relevant today. Yeah, what we talk about is creating a workplace where respect is the foundation, not where it's something we're trying to plug in holes with, but where it's actually the foundation. I'll give you an example, Dave. A lot of people, when they think of problems in their companies, major issues, sexual harassment, diversity, inclusion, they think of their building their company like a skyscraper. And they think, oh, the 19th floor is where we have sexual harassment problems. And the 15th floor is where we have inclusion problems. And the 13th floor is where we have this issue. Well, the problem is their foundation was never built on respect. And the foundation is causing all the cracks all the way up the skyscraper. If they reinforce their foundation with respect, we could help solve all those issues. And the respect is a manifest in terms of behaviors and conversation, of course, is it all of the above? It's, it is all of the above. Well, here's a way that when we go to companies and we ask them, whether it be management, leadership, from all levels, I'll say, hey, imagine that in front of you, you have a slope. Now, when I'm actually there, I have a slope on a screen. And on this slope is all workplace relationships or interactions. And it's on a diagonal like any slope would be, you know, like a 45 degree angle. On the worst end of that, what would you have? And people say, well, geez, it would be something like sexual violence or murder in the workplace which is scary, but we know can happen. Yeah. It's been in the news. Yeah, absolutely. So I say, okay, great. What's the extreme opposite of that in the workplace? And they, they get stuck. They're like, what do you mean? What's the opposite? Well, you know the worst you don't want to have happen. What do you actually want to have happen? And then they'll say, well, it's respect. And I go, hold on a second. 
Respect cannot be the epitome. It should be the bare minimum requirement in a workplace relationship. Right. But everybody's talking about it like it's the epitome. It's the, like, like it's the goal that we want to achieve as opposed yeah. to the foundation that everything grows, grows from. Yes, that it can only start the positive once you have that. It's not the goal, it's the beginning point. And I'll say to people, imagine if I walked up to you and I said, my new job is so amazing, they actually treat me with respect. You'd That's a pretty low, it's a pretty low bar, isn't it? Right, people be like, where have you been working, right? That, that right. would sound like an awful statement. That should be a given. So what we're doing is transforming the whole conversation. Instead of just saying, respect, 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 we're saying, what's the epitome? The epitome is mutually amazing relationships in the workplace. That's the epitome, mutually amazing relationships. And nobody's having the conversation. Right. Let me ask you sort of an obvious question. Um, granted, that's, that's the goal. Like if you're looking at organizations, they may say that's a Google. That's, that's, a, that's a, um, I don't know, what's, what's the shoe thing? Um, Zappos or something like that. Right. But, but when you talk about respect, how do you overcome sort of the assertion that many might have that we've got that part covered? Our biggest challenge is sales. Our biggest challenge is absenteeism and people off task and whatever else. How do you bring them back and help them recognize how this leaves its way into so many dynamics within the workplace? Yeah, whatever they want to bring up, I can easily and quickly show where respect is being failed. And let me give you an example. Let's say they say, well, our issue is not respect, it's sales. Well, then you're failing to respect someone or some process in the sales process. Respect is still the core issue. Uh, you're either failing to respect what the client needs and you're trying to force them to do something they don't want to do. That's not respect. Real respect in sales is we find the right people for our product and we bring them together to the product. So you can escalate and soar sales by understanding respect in the sales process that so many people forget about. How do you battle in this very tough workforce, this very tough economy right now, and the perception that something like this is soft. This is a soft skill. We have limited time modules during the day. We are, we are slaying dragons. We're putting out fires. This sounds really nice and touchy-feely, uh, but we got bigger issues to deal with. How do yeah, you and their big issues, Dave, their big issues right now is their fear of employees. That is their biggest issue. Most right. people go to sleep at night afraid of what's going to happen with their employees. Now, what do I mean by that? It could be they're going to leave to the number one competitor, which with unemployment low right now is a huge fear. Huge fear, right? And then that's a loss of sales, a loss of everything, a loss of productivity, creativity problem. You lose it all when you lose that person. Or they are definitely afraid that their company is the next company on the front page of the New York Times because of an issue involving employee misbehavior, inappropriateness by leaders. This is, a, this is something that keeps CEOs up at night. So this is not a soft issue. This is a real issue. And what's amazing is it's costing billions of dollars in industry across the board. And if you focused on the positive, the mutually amazing, what happens? Sales soar. Profits soar because retention goes way up. You're not trying to recruit new people. In fact, you're having to push people away. You're having to reject so much talent because you can just pick from the best because everybody wants to work with, you, with what you've created in your culture. So it's huge in the big end when people think hard topics, it impacts all of them. Look, people, we know people don't leave jobs. They leave right. people. And this is where it's at because of how you're treated. 
so so how did they first of all how do they from a diagnostic perspective how do they recognize where they are falling short how that's manifesting within the organization and then and then what's the recipe yeah the, what the we do is we have what's called the nine daily displays of disrespect these are nine ways that people can display disrespect unintentionally that we've all participated in at least half of them give and us a sense to give you an example would be a simple one the interrupter right you're so excited about yeah, an but idea. i don't i don't think that's i was Right, was, right. There's a great example. That was a joke. That was a joke. <laughs> right, no, I know, but that's a good example. Right, I'm people sorry, do ahead. that. Right, and with interviews, it's tough because you can't always know when the next person's done. But I know, we're fine. Go but, ahead. No, just, no. In the workplace, people do that, right? And they'll be like, "But," and they jump in. I have done this because I'm high energy, high passionate leaders tend to do this. They get so excited, they forget you're not letting the other person complete their sentence. Right. Isn't and that it, one of the things I saw? Somebody there was there was a meme or something that said that people listen not to. Um, not to understand, but they listen to respond. Yes, correct. Right? They're waiting for the, I heard a great line that says, the opposite of talking isn't listening. The opposite of talking is waiting to talk. Yes. How many of those conversations we have this like, just hurry up because there's something I want to say. So yeah, yeah that's and great. And a mutual friend we have, John, we were talking about this once and John said, hey, Mike, uh, look, I considered when I'm talking with my wife and I do that, it's efficient communication. And I'll say, how does she feel about that efficient communication? Yeah, he's like, working for her. hates it, obviously. And here's the mistake we make. We think what you, we know what you're going to say next. So we just save time. The problem is we don't know what you're going to say next. Yeah. And it comes from a place of arrogance to think I know every one of your thoughts. And so now you are of less value to me because I can think for you because you don't need to finish your sentences anymore. So and when you bring up an example like that, for example, and here I am interrupting you, um, yeah. but when you, when you bring up an example, is it to help them have a greater cognizance when this dynamic is occurring so they, they can check their behavior? That's exactly what we do. In each of the forms of disrespect, we show them, hey, here's all the ways it can show up. And we ask them, what are ways you've seen it show up? What's amazing is how many others are saying, well, Mike, I've got that interrupter. What do I do? What do I do when that person's interrupting? And sometimes it's very gender specific. Like they'll interrupt, interrupt one gender, but not another. And right. so now it stands out even more when this is happening in these situations, especially if that gender's the minority in the room. Now suddenly it's really obvious. So what do you, what do you tell them? I, there was a funny line I saw. It said, I'm sorry, did the middle of my sentence interrupt the beginning of yours? You yeah. know, there, there's a, a million of those. <laughs> what do you... Um, what do you respond to somebody yeah. who says, how do I deal with that person? If you're the leader in the room watching this, often the person who's being interrupted may not feel safe or empowered in that moment for a multitude of reasons. You need to lead, which means at that point, you need to say, hey, Jordan, let's say Jordan's the one interrupting. Hey, Jordan, uh, let's let Susie finish. I want to hear what Susie had to say. And you just say it like that. Hey, Jordan, I need to hear what Susie was going to say. Right, so you make it that simple. Now, if you're Susie or if you're Jack, who this is being done to, it's a simple, may I finish please? Right, so it's, it's right. respectful and it's nice and easy. But what we help people do is realize that when you start to catch yourself wanting to jump in, that's the pause moment. Take a breath and just say to yourself, okay, I need to actually listen fully here, which is right. what people tend to want to do is what you said, wait to respond. The opposite of that, is to listen with intent to learn, which means what are they gonna say that I didn't expect? 
That's a whole different viewpoint in that moment. Oh, I think I know what they're going to say. Pause. What are they going to say that I didn't expect? I need to listen for that. It's hard today, isn't it, though? Because especially because we are so polarized that our conversations are not about understanding. It's about making our point and, and engendering support for our position. So many of those conversations. There is, there's a, a new importance on this. Um, give me another example. Yeah. Another example would be the bulldozer. Right. So the bulldozer is the one who just comes in and takes over the whole conversation. And, they, and then they ask for people's opinions and keep going regardless of their opinions, right. which means don't ask my opinion. And, and I've had leaders come up to me and go, well, what about some emergency situation where I need to bulldoze? Like we have seconds to react and I've made a decision. Then say that. Look, we have seconds to right. react. Right. I make a quick decision. I cannot take anybody's input due to we had to respond to this. And so I want you to know why I did it. But please know I can't take any input because it's done. And so I, I hate when this happens. Unfortunately, this is one of the times it happened. And do I need you, to be able to do this. Do you find, Mike, that when you're making some of these points, especially when you're speaking to audiences, big organizations, that, that you're seeing them and you can see it on their face, they're coming up with examples where that doesn't apply. Yeah, right. Exactly. So you always have to have a response. It's like, don't dismiss because there's 5% of the time that this doesn't apply, that doesn't nullify the message. I, I find this as well in working yeah. with organizations. There's always going to be somebody say, yeah, but that doesn't work when, you're, when you've got somebody from overseas who is the, who is the leader of, of a country. And But yeah, how often does that happen? Come on. <laughs> right, exactly. That's right. What we're discussing, and in reality, are you saying that you compromise your values based on those 5% of the time. Ooh, and that's, that's a good really- point too. That's a good point. Yeah, if you're gonna say that respect is a core value of your organization, so now suddenly the president of a country or leader of a country comes over and you sacrifice your core values, then they're not core values. Like we need to have honest conversations. If you value respect, you don't give it, you don't sacrifice it to get business. Right, so give me another example that, that isn't a conversation-based display of inadvertently or, or intentionally uh, of disrespect? Yeah, denying access. Okay, denying access. So let me explain what I mean by this one. It's, we're seeing it a lot nowadays in a very gender specific situation. And that is this, those who identify as male leaders, some of them are saying now, well, and this is in politics, corporate associations, I'm no longer gonna do one-on-one -on -one business dinners with women. It's too oh, risky. Yeah. Oh, God. And this is actually happening. I and know. I've had people in my audiences say, I believe in that. So they're not hiding it. They're outwardly owning it. Leadership, CEOs. Uh, and you go, hold on a second. That's literally denying access. Blatantly. In fact, you're making the lawsuit really easy. And they'll go, but, but there's only one of two reasons you're doing this. One of two. And I'll give you a real example that happened with a group of CEOs. And I said, one of two. One, you're so dangerous that you cannot trust yourself alone with a woman as a man. And therefore, you need to avoid yourself from making any awful decisions or actions upon her so you can't be alone with her. Well, this guy got mad. He goes, that's not, that's not what I'm talking about. That's not what I'm talking about. I went, hold on. I said, one of two. We haven't gotten to number two. Number two is you're afraid you'll be falsely accused. Right. inappropriate behavior. And he goes, that's it. And he wasn't angry anymore. He was in agreement with me. He goes, that's it. That's it. And I went, so hold on a second. Men get to have one-on-one -on -one dinners with you. So men, safe, trustworthy, never manipulative. 
women in our company cannot be trusted in those same situations. That's exactly what you're sending as a message. And it is incredibly dangerous, it is harmful, and it's, it's completely based in degradation, disrespect of an entire gender. It, one is evil, one is safe. And that's what you're saying with that language. So it becomes really important to understand where you deny access. Subtle forms of denying access might be, well, you know what, we're not gonna ask Chris about that project that we need everybody out here till 10 at night. Chris has kids. Well, wait a second. Why not let Chris have the choice to say no? Even if you give Chris the choice 19 times and Chris says no 19 times, the 20th time Chris might say yes. People's lives change. Let Chris choose. Part of respect is to give choices, not to deny them. It is the, the primary foundation of your message just a measure of cognizance of just recognizing that these things, because I, I think everybody listening right now is recognizing that there's probably these situations that are going on all the time. I, I think the real question is, it's what's the ramifications of doing this poorly? Yeah. What, what does it mean in terms of recruitment, retention, lawsuits, all, and, and you know, I can think of a, some, but, but this, is your, this is your realm. Um, yeah, well, the, the obvious is the lawsuit, right? That everybody thinks of in their mind is the lawsuit that whether it goes to court or not, the millions, if not billions of dollars, depending on the size of the company of image PR damage it can do. Right. We can all think of a few names right now, right off the top of our heads of leaders in corporations, organizations who caused hundreds of millions of PR damage in the last two years. Yep. Right. And so that is the most blatantly obvious one. But of course, here's the problem with that. That's picturing the problem like the monster. And when you talk about the monsters that are out there, most companies and organizations and leaders don't think they'll ever have that monster in their company. Right. If so you go to the extreme, they're thinking, ah, correct. that won't happen to us. So what, I, what we stress is you have to stop talking about the monsters out there and you have to look in the mirror. The monster doesn't make any impact on people in their own organizations. The mirror does. When you're a strong leader, if you're a leader right now listening, instead of thinking, I don't have that problem, a strong leader looks in the mirror and says, where does that appear in my organization? Yeah. Where are we at risk for that appearing in my organization? Because if I'm a leader that really cares about culture, I don't need to be scared with scare tactics of lawsuits or any of this. I want to build the right culture for my people, period. And for me, that's priceless. So honestly, Dave, the, the CEOs out there who are sitting there going, prove the exact dollar this is going to cost me. They're, they're going to take the cheapest option and they're not going to care about effectiveness. Right. But, the leader but, who really cares will do whatever it takes because they know their culture is what makes or breaks their success. Here's the part I'm going to challenge you on though. As much as we want our clients, those company leaders to care, they don't always care. They'll care about something. And it might be that the, the fear of something else. If we could wave a magic wand and we only work with people who totally get it, who totally want us for what it is that we deliver, um, it would be a magical world. But I would, I would assume for you, and, and, and I would love your comment on this, is what percentage of those who are doing it from a defensive posture, um, just make sure that we've got our bases covered, we've got plausible deniability in the case of, of lawsuit, and say, listen, we brought in Mike Domish, he worked with our people, we, we implemented these programs, we have defensibility against this one employee who was inappropriate in the workplace. There's half of it. The other half, of course, is the ones who say, 
I am so bought into my people and my culture, and I just want to be better. And, and I believe this, and I want, I, want to, I want to implement this. Are you at 50-50? Does it matter to you? Do you approach the organizations differently? Great question. Uh, we are definitely not at 50-50. We are heavy on those who care deeply. Here's why. And here's why. Because if you're looking for plausible deniability, I'm not the person to work with. You will find very cheap, low basic options out there that'll show you check the box. Right. And everybody in you your have your company, sexual harassment policy covered in your policy correct. manual. That you kind got of it. Online video, watch this. And everybody in that organization will know exactly the game you're playing. In fact, they'll even say, we all had to do the check the box training today. Yep. We, I hear it all the time. Everybody will know the game. You yep. will lose all integrity of a leader because you'll say, I care deeply about this, so you have to go through this. But everybody knows you're doing the basic minimum to get through it. So that's not who we're working with, honestly. There's, there's plenty of people who want to provide that solution. That's right. not what I do. So the far majority are those who care deeply. Now, with that said, Dave, I will stress this. It's really neat to watch the people who came in the room pushing back at first flip. That's the power. So that 50% that you said that wants to deny plausibility, the real power is when they're in the room with us. And suddenly they're going, yeah, but what about this? And you can answer it. And suddenly they're going, whoa, this does relate to me. I do need to wake up to this. This is important. And they flip to the other side. That's happening more often. And that's the really beautiful magic in having these conversations. Tell me about some of the feedback that you get, not necessarily from organizational leaders, maybe to an extent, but from participants who have that aha moment, who have that moment of recognition, maybe a moment of shame that says, I didn't realize that I was a primary offender and, and here's what you've done for yeah, me. Yeah, I mean, it's, what's amazing about it is we get that feedback, like within a week, I've gotten an email back from a CEO that said, oh my gosh, I've already changed how much I interrupt and how it's changed them as a leader because they're hearing more ideas. The people in the room are feeling more appreciated. They're creating better relationships with those they lead huge difference within a week because it just takes going back the next day and implementing a couple little things and you can have massive impact on your relationships with everybody in the workplace and it's beautiful when you see that dave or you get the person in the room who goes hey i finally stopped the interrupter so they intervened on the other person right and it was the whole room got to witness that and then they felt safe bringing their ideas forward where before they just didn't bring them because they knew that person would dominate the conversation. Why waste my time? They're going to run me over. Now everybody was diving in with problem solving, way more efficient. That's the beauty of it. it is, but isn't that the benefit of also making sure that everybody is in the room? Because then when those, those behaviors present themselves again, everybody knows <laughs> what, excuse me, what, um, what the ideal is. Yes. Right? Everybody knows the learning. So somebody can say, hey, 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 Jim, let, let him finish for a second. Hey, or hold that for a second. Because, and everybody knows why you're doing it. That's right. Everybody's more cognizant as opposed to one person. I mean, we check our, ourselves, but does it create a new group dynamic, a new group cognizance that becomes sort of a, a catalyst for conformity within the organization? Well, that's the neat thing. Let's say that earlier I said Jordan was the interrupter right? If everybody went through this together, like we're having the conversation with all of leadership when I come in, suddenly Jordan, when they say, hey, Jordan, can we let Chris finish? Jordan goes, oh, my bad. Totally didn't catch it. Thank you, everyone. 
right? A totally different ball game then. Right. Well, what do you mean? You're getting defensive. No, like, oh, that's right. I'm doing it. Thank you. Now Jordan stops doing it because Jordan doesn't want that to happen in front of the group. The whole group just said, we're not going to do this to each other. So what I love about it is we're all on the same page on a mission together. It's no longer about following protocol. It's a mission of how we treat each other. Tell me about the process that you work in. It, you come in, is it, is it coming in for an hour? Is it coming in for a day? Is there ongoing, an organization that, that becomes involved in this, that makes a real commitment to this, it, it's got to require some sort of a reminder and a refresher. Yeah, so what, well, I'll give you a hard not to example. fall into old habits, right? That's right. So what they might do, I'll give you one example. They'll bring me in to speak with the top leaders in the organization so that they're all on the same page. And we welcome the pushback. I love the pushback because the more they push back on me, the more they can see that that's, that thinking that they're pushing back with is actually not safe. And if I can help them hear themselves in front of the room, they're like, oh, I didn't want to, I didn't want to represent myself that way. I didn't think you did. Well, that happens in a small room first. Now, when they go back and say to those they lead, hey, we're bringing you into this program now, they're bought in because their, their pushback is now out of the way. They've gotten to exercise that. It didn't work. They've let it go. Now they bring the next group in. So now you're bringing the next level of leadership. Now we grow it there. Then we go to the next, right? It might be six months later. Now we do a keynote with everybody in the room, but right. everybody's already been bought in. So now it's just, how do we take this further? So yeah, it's working at every level is really the key. We're talking to Mike Domish. He's the founder of the Center for Respect. If you want to look him up, he has one funky spelling to his name. Look him <laughs> up online. As you're listening, you can just look him up, up online, Mike, and it's D-O-M-I-T-R-Z, and it's pronounced Domish. Um, I think it's such an important conversation, and I think we have it, but on a real tertiary level. I mean, we have the conversation as it pertains to sexual harassment. We have, a, as it pertains, as you said, to people who are, are being... <laughs> um, I think unreasonable in terms of saying, oh, I can't get, I can't meet one-on-one -on -one with a woman because this can happen. You know what? Be a decent human being and, um, and, and you should probably be just fine. All of that said, your background gives you a really unique um, gravitas, for lack of a better word. You have a measure of credibility because you have devoted your professional life to these important conversations regarding respect, um, surrounding boundaries. Do me a favor, for our listeners, for those who are viewing this on YouTube or on my, on my website, tell me a little bit about the Genesis because it is a profound story that had a profound impact on your life. And like I said, we've known each other for, for, for close to 20 years. And I've watched you in the early years and watched the message grown and your cognizance grown. But the genesis of this was a really profound um, situation. Share that with us. Yeah, I'm, this is not something I ever plan to do for a living. That's for sure. If you met me as an 18 or even 19 year old and said, hey, what are your plans? It wasn't this. And I received a phone call when I was 19 years old. I was away at college and it was my mom informed me that the youngest of my sisters, they're all older than me, but the youngest of those sisters had been raped. And I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I was enraged. I was lost. I was confused. I was devastated. And over the next few months, I would continue to dive deeper into this toxic of how can this be? How can this happen? And then I started, then I heard a speaker talk about it on a college campus and realized, wait a second, is there something I could do about this that I could somehow use my voice to make a difference? And so between the ages of 19, 20, and 21, I started developing this program 
at the time based about consent. And that's where this work began, which was everybody deserves to be treated with respect. And that's what consent is all about. Everybody deserves a choice in that situation. So I started working with middle schools and high schools. And then I struggled because I was 20 and I looked like I was 14. And when I was 24, I looked like I was 16. And I wish I could be exaggerating, but it wasn't an exaggeration at that time. Keep in mind, Dave, this is the early 90s. Nobody was having these conversations. Right, right. So it was hard to get this conversation in any door. Well, suddenly in 2002, I was 32 and someone heard me doing this work and said, hey, you should be doing this around the world. And I gave them my backstory and they said, the world's changed. And in two weeks, I sold the business I had at the time, almost went bankrupt. But I believe this is where I always belonged and came back to it. And that you and I met about eight months after that, maybe seven months right. after that. Uh, and we started going full time into wanting to create a culture of respect and consent throughout this world. And then what happened was about five years after that, military came to us and said, hey, you're having such an impact on college campuses. Can you do this for us? And we took it to another level because the military, you have a lot of married relationships or divorce relationships. Right. We brought all that in. And then people said, now in the last few years, hey, corporate needs this. Will you come to corporate and share this? And that's how we walked in the door of the corporate world and associations and businesses. As I've watched sort of that, that key message there, it has, it has evolved, it has grown, but it's always been based on that core message of um, not just sort of, uh, I think, whittling it down to the idea of respect, but the, the behaviors that lead to that the misunderstanding that comes when we think we understand what the other person, early on with the college years, and I'm watching your presentations of we think somebody means something and then they don't, and then, and then you're trying to read signals, and that's where we're so bad. And, and for those listening, I mean, literally one of the funniest people I have ever seen on stage, the interaction is unbelievable. People who come in thinking, oh, I got to listen to this, whether it was early years on the, on, the, on the high school or college level and the current work in corporate, I would assume they're still walking and going, oh, I don't want to do this. But in such a short period of time, they're like, this is not what I expected. Yeah, that's one this, of my favorite oh, lines. You are one of the most, I will tell you, and, and, I'm, and, and I don't want to ever sound like a fan because we've been friends as well. You are one of the most relevant speakers I have ever heard. The content is so connected to who we are, what we do, a thousand years of socialization, and why we really need to take a step back and look at what we've never thought about or we don't think about enough. Well, one, thank you, Dave. And two, yeah, my whole work has been focused. I learned early on that coming in and lecturing my audience on all the things they're doing wrong, nobody wants to participate in that conversation. Right. And it's how it's been done for centuries. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. And so early on, back when you saw it in 2003, right away, we have people engaged up in the room involved, having fun about their everyday choices and behavior, because it, that's what we're actually talking about. Look, if we can expose the ridiculous lessons we've been taught to this day in our lives and the danger they can lead us to, well, now it's not about how dare you, Dave, do that. It's, oh my gosh, how messed up is this that we've been taught these lessons? Right. And how do those lessons impact me personally when I look in the mirror and those around me? So it's not about shame anymore. It's not about guilt. It's about changing our choices to a better place that we can all easily change. And so you can have fun with the discussion and also have very serious heart-connecting conversations at the same time. It is... Um... 
I remember talking over the years of all the, the, the sort, even the pop culture references, because your challenge, and, and this is where I think you are uniquely equipped, is you are oftentimes fighting against centuries of socialization. I wouldn't call it indoctrination, because it's kind of who we are. But one of the examples, we had had conversation about this years ago, and I was watching, because one of the things that, that, that I get, and I know your corporate audiences do as well, and the employees, is they will, they will, identify situations in their life that, oh my God, this is, this is exactly what he was talking about. Not even, even if it doesn't even involve them. I was watching um, The Little Mermaid and there's this song where they're out on the boat and, he's, and there's, he's singing, Kiss the Girl. And Sebastian the Lobster is singing. And I was looking at the words and it was after I saw your presentation, he's like, look at you, you want her. Look at her, you know you do. You know, possible. It's like, just kiss her. It's like, just kiss the girl. And I'm like, that's not at all what you should do. Make sure, right, where's that consent? And, and I know as, as everything has evolved, I think your, your audiences, I think the real value is that, that I think you are seeding a new generation to look at the world differently, to manage people differently, to interact with people differently. And, and give me a sense of, of where you come out um, where do organizations come out? And not broad platitudes that they're, they're happier, they're more respectful. Give me some specific behaviors. How does it manifest in a way that contributes to retention, that contributes to, to sales, to other things as well? Give me some tangible things. Well, I'll give you numbers. Listening. I'll yeah, give you please. numbers. So what, what I do after each presentation is I give a survey to the room. By the way, this is true in high schools, colleges, military, and corporate. And I ask specific quantitative questions that can be literally measured. For instance, after today, I'm more likely to engage in conversations based on a mutual level of respect, right? And I'm going to be conscientious about that. And then we score that. If it was high schools, I'm more likely to ask before I engage in any sexual intimacy. Now, we all know that if you walked into a high school and asked that question before a speaker, you might be lucky to see 20 to 30% because there has been a movement teaching consent, but it's still only 20 or 30%. Right. Walking out, the actual numbers are, between 92 and 95% across all genders say they're more likely to give their partner a choice after experiencing the program. That's quantitative. If yep. it's corporate and we ask, hey, are you more likely now to take a breath and fully listen and honor that, that person's value? And you see those kind of numbers, you can't deny there's an impact occurring because that's quantitative. Now, where I believe the beauty is, and we ask open-ended questions, what are you going to use from today? How would you describe this? So there's no seeding them at all in any way whatsoever. And to see them answer the questions, I today realized I'm a fixer. I need to stop fixing others. That is huge language because yeah. that means they're going to stop telling everybody else, here's your solution, here's your solution. And they're going to go to that person and go, what's your idea? Now everybody has ownership on the project. These are measurable outcomes that happen because now that product is way more successful, way more what the clients either seeking, need, or want because the person involved has ownership versus being directed and dictated what to do. Doesn't senior leadership in organizations um, have a, a, a better sense that their emerging leaders are better equipped when they are elevated to those positions of leadership, when they implement this in organizations, it's not just what's happening there, but as their leaders move up through the ranks, they're leading better, aren't they? 
They are. That, that's the coolest part. Every now and then you'll get somebody who goes, well, why do I have to care about my people? You'll get somebody who, who could talk that way. It's rare. Most CEOs do care. And when you ask most CEOs, do you care deeply about your people? If one of your people died, would it would impact you? Almost all say, of course it would. Of course. So you want, when able to, to be able to support the people who work your organization to have better lives and to be better people. Yes. What are you doing to make that happen? And that's where you see the, the blank face and they go, you know how easy it is to do, right? We're talking nine skills here that you, could, that you could literally, and this is one of the things we do, help organizations for two weeks, choose one each day. That's, yeah. that's nine business days, one each day, and then put it on rotation every two weeks. And you help improve their ability to connect with each other, work with each other, remove fear from the workplace, which is priceless. Well, and I think, as we said before, I think it's a cognizance issue. I mean, most people are good people. I think they just don't realize it. And I think, I think that, that message that you have um, gives them a, a sense of self-awareness. I mean, let's just- Why you brought that up, Dave, because the 99% of people are good people. Yeah. And the mistake in the past was, so we don't need to have these conversations. My company's full of good people, so I don't need to do this. Right, or let and me throw something out real quick, and I don't mean to interrupt, yep. but- what, what we hear and what I hear all the time is, is we tell our people, we, we treat our people like family. And like that's supposed to mic drop. Like, like that's, we've got it covered. I mean, first of all, I see how many of you treat your families. Not always a great thing, but that's the dismissive posture I see sometimes with leaders is we tell, listen, we treat our people like family. Like that's supposed to say it all. Yeah, I tackle that one all the time. I do. Yeah. I say, hold on a second. Have you seen a lot of families out there? <laughs> there's, there's toxic family relationships. Family. Yeah. Almost every family has at least one toxic family relationship. Almost every family. Yeah. So to say like family doesn't mean respect. It doesn't. At all. In fact, there's hierarchy, there's power, there's past trauma and history in families that influence how people react in situations. It's not often based in respect. And so get off the, we're a team, we're a family, so we don't need this. Look, are you human beings that are fallible? Because if you're human beings that are fallible, you make mistakes that impact other people that we could lower the incidence of those mistakes with a few skill sets here. We're talking to Mike Domish, who is the founder of the Center for Respect. Mike, if people want to get in touch with you, learn more about the, uh, the Center for Respect and potentially bring you into the organizations, how do they reach you? The easiest way is to go to centerforrespect.com. If they're thinking, well, what if we're thinking just we want you as a corporate, bring in corporate programs, training. We also have mikespeaks.com. Either one is going to get you to the same place. So centerforrespect.com and then you choose businesses when you're there or you, if you're with a school or you're a parent, you can choose your community. Mikespeaks.com goes directly to the corporate work we do. Outstanding. Hey, what a treat to, um, to speak to you in, more, in a more efficient, uh, official capacity and to be able to share this message with others, with the, the people who listen to this podcast or watch it as well. Uh, thank you so much for your time and, and for sharing with us. The Very Visible Business Podcast is sponsored by the Customer Experience Advantage Morning Huddle. Your next million dollar idea will likely come from your only, own team, but only if you create the space for challenging, powerful internal conversations, you can learn how membership and the customer experience advantage can give you the content and the questions and the tools to facilitate a weekly morning huddle with your team. You can learn more and watch sample video lessons by visiting thecxadvantage.com. 
Be sure to click like on this podcast, hit the subscribe button, whatever platform that you are listening to it on. Of course, the video version of this interview is on my website at davidavern.com or on YouTube. And you can learn more about my speaking and consulting on customer experience and marketing. You can visit me online at visibilityinternational.com. One quick, one more plug, my brand new book, Why Customers Leave and How to Win Them Back, recently named by Forbes as one of the seven business books that that entrepreneurs need to read. That's available in Kindle and audiobook and everything else. Thanks for joining us. Look at some of the other podcasts. Be sure to listen and be sure to subscribe. Thank you much. For past and future episodes, be sure to subscribe at theveryvisiblebusiness.com. You can also learn more about David Averin's keynote speaking and consulting at visibilityinternational.com. Connect with us on social media and check out David Averin's latest book, Visibility Marketing at amazon.com. This has been the Very Visible Business Podcast with David Averin. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>